Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey, Adam. Hey, you know, I just got back from Disneyland, Zach. Did did you? That sounds really, really nice. Uh, Perchance, did you meet anyone at the monorail? <laughs> we did not take the monorail. Uh because it only takes you like two places it's different than it is in disney world anyway um we did get to see avengers uh campus which uh you know for all all the marvel stuff they have over there one thing they don't have x-men no hey all i'm all i'm gonna say all i'm gonna say is when universal studios island of adventure uh (laughs) opened their marvel section you know you know who got a ride I do. Uh, there's a storm ride, isn't there? Yeah, it was storm. Here's who got a ride. Uh, it was, and this tells you a lot about Marvel Comics circa the year 2000. Sure. Here's who got a ride. The Hulk, mm-hmm. Spider-Man, Doctor Doom, and Storm. That's awesome. These are the rides. <laughs> and when we say themed storm, I mean, it, there's a drawing of storm by Adam hubert that's there right there's like, also there's also like voiceover stuff and like oh is there th- i didn't thundery know okay. thundery like it's a it's a <laughs> it's a teacups right is what it is oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> I, I i went to universal orlando uh back maybe when i was 11 or 12 years old mm-hmm. okay that's where i did get and drug around the rest of the park Four volumes of Essential X Men. <laughs> that's crazy that you were. That's a lot of weight. That's a it couple was, phone books. It was the Uncanny Essential X Men, which oddly enough was not Uncanny X Men. It was the it was the sixty uh, stuff. So like the first twenty four issues of that, and then the first three volumes of the Claremont stuff, which gets you about to the Brute Saga, like right wow. before the Brute Saga. Yeah. Hey, good reading. That's good. I don't know. If I that's read the them best all idea. on that trip. I was like, "Oh no, these are fantastic! <laughs> I should get more of these." Never did until I was uh, grown. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea for packing your suitcase, but I'm I'm Terrible. happy for you, man. <laughs> I was I was a young lad at the time. I was not thinking of such things. Unlike tonight, where I found clothes while I was doing laundry and set them aside because I was like, "Okay, this is what I want to wear on the airplane. This is what I want to wear <laughs> after going to work trip." This is where I want to do for this, that. Like, I already, I have, like, I'm 90% packed already and I haven't even touched a suitcase. See? This is, I'm a this is what a professional traveler you're, now. You're, a, you're adulting. Um, we don't use that word on this podcast, Adam, please. We're, we are being uh, not kids. Uh, Grown! Responsible! Humans! <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, grown responsible humans, uh, you did mention Storm, and uh, this episode is all about Storm, and who brought this character of sort of profile to our attention? Who made this request? Uh, this request was made by Kyle Still. Kyle hmm. went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf and said, folks, have you 
have you heard about the Wind Rider? <laughs> have you heard the good word of Aurora Monroe and all of her lightning bolts? The, if you want to be like Kyle, hold on, we're good. We'll get back to the thing about Storm. But if you want to be like Kyle, you can go on over to Patreon.com uh, slash ComicsXF. It supports so many good comics journalism websites like the one. The one that does support Comics XF, also this podcast, <laughs> also some other great stuff. So please, folks, please dig deep into your hearts and your pocketbooks and throw a couple of coins in our coffers. If you, if you, if the Wind Rider uh, is moving you with her gale force uh, winds, yes. <laughs> well, we've we've been focusing on a lot of really, I feel like classic stuff lately. Um, you know, two episodes ago we did a, a full Cyclops episode. Last week we did a Star Jammers episode. Do love um, the Star Jammers. Yeah, yeah this and is we got some good ones here today. This is interesting got, stuff. We got some interesting stuff, and we're going to start it with Uncanny X-Men 151 to 152. The Hellfire Gambit. Um, <laughs> no Gambit, Gambit in this does story. does not appear in this one. <laughs> no. Um, uh, but it's Chris Claremont with art on this by Jim Sherman and Bob McLeod. Yeah, uh, Bob McLeod handles most of the art on the second issue, but the first issue is kind of a jam. Um, and we've got this great cover on 151 of Kitty Pride dragging her suitcase off to the Massachusetts Academy, and it says, The day Kitty Pride leaves the X-Men is the day the X-Men fall. Kitty Pride had effectively been an X-Man for ten issues. Yeah, she'd been around for less than a year and is already being uh, shipped off to the Massachusetts Academy. But we do get a lot of pretty cool character work at the beginning of this episode um, where Kitty is revealing that her parents are going through a split, uh, wants, you know, to connect with Aurora. And so, you know, while all the other X-Men are not super happy about her leaving, at least Storm offers to drive Kitty to the Massachusetts Academy to drop her off. Which works right into White Queen's plans. Yeah, uh, the White Queen's alive again. Um, if you remember during the uh, very classic Dark Phoenix saga, uh, the Phoenix said, Hmm, don't like you messing with my brain. I'm going to make you comatose. Yeah. Emma got better. <laughs> yep. Still on just a lot of cocaine. Uh, she is <laughs> She is having a time in these 80s here. Uh and decides to do an evil plot that will involve attacking the X-Men with Sentinels uh, yes. and the entire Might of the Hellfire uh, Club. Uh, also involves switching minds and bodies with Storm, which... <laughs> seems a little unnecessary, right? Um, it's a strange... I mean, obviously, it's a comic book trope to have body swaps but it's a uh, comic this book one's... trope and it's a chris claremont trope <laughs> for sure for sure but uh obviously things are made a little bit stranger here because uh white uh emma is you know about as waspy as you can get and uh you know storm is an african woman who um let, let's just say when she wakes up in emma's body and and realizes what's happening freaks out pretty bad yeah storm doesn't take it well and rightfully so uh this comic does not jump into really any of the racial undertones of nope. this uh because no. chris claremont was doing a body swap story because he was like 
who do I, who's my most powerful woman? Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's Storm. It's Storm. Uh, and who's my most powerful woman antagonist? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's White Queen. Um, so I'll just have them swap. That'll be perfect. I don't is know that, why I... Is that his voice? No, it's super not. And we I, both st I still... This. I still liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I will give uh, Claremont uh, props here. I, I like the way that the body swap is kind of introduced because as Storm is leaving, um, you're starting to notice when after she leaves Kitty at the Massachusetts Academy, you're realizing that she's acting out of character to the point where she dons the white cape and starts smoking a cigarette and testing out the powers. And you're like, oh, that's what's going on. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, no, the reveals the reveal is done well. Um and Emma, I mean, it's '80s Emma. It, she's not, she's not the good character yet. She's just evil and vampy. Yes. Which, I get it. A lot of people like evil and vampy. Not necessarily mm -hmm. my flavor, but more power to her. <laughs> well, we we get the Sentinels, which Cyclops is like, wait a minute, didn't we get rid of these guys back in issue 100? Uh, there's an editor's note. <laughs> yeah um, also... it turns out it turns out somebody is funding project wide awake i don't know mm. who that could be sebastian shop <laughs> we also get uh cameos from uh some some different hellfire club people so we get harvey and janet right who are guarding storm as emma which is kind of fun yeah they're weird it, it is weird <laughs> that there's just two hellfire club goons uh, what I had forgotten, honestly, is that the Reavers yes. are first Reavered here. Like, they aren't the yep. Reavers yet. They are just like, yeah, Wolverine, you stabbed us so much, and now we're part robot. Yeah, we're kind of, like, Cole is, is named here, and uh, I don't know if Reese is, but the, the, they're like, basically, hey, we're going to come and get you again. And Wolverine's like, wait, grumble, grumble. Uh, uh, my cone. <laughs> Yeah, Cole, Reese, and uh, Macon are all in this. Uh, those are the Hellfire. Those are the Reavers that look like peoples. <laughs> they aren't <laughs> right. the fun Reavers. Um, I so I had always known that like, yeah, the Reavers existed because Claremont was told Wolverine can't have done so many murders. Well, it is a really funny retcon. You know, like you're reading it, and you go, "Wait a minute, no, he killed those guys." But then he they killed they them explain so it. much. <laughs> uh, and it's the best. It's the moment Wolverine becomes Wolverine is when he kills those dudes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's weird that like I knew it was a editorial thing, but I was like, no, Shooter was gone by that time. So when the Reavers appear proper, that's like Bob. Is that Bob Harris running editorial at the time? And then the you know running group of random uh, EICs at the time. I was like, no, this had to be Shooter, and I had blanked out that it was uh it was here that it happened mm -hmm. yeah it makes a lot more sense for it to happen right here yes absolutely um who else do we get here we get amanda sefton and kurt canoodling man get... they love each other so much <laughs> if they would stop bringing up that they're brother and sister though they, they yeah <laughs> it's not it's not that how do i want to say this right it's not one of those things where it's like, yeah, well, if you think about the continuity, they are brother and sister, technically, and that's just like, it's not like, a, hey, Kitty and uh, Piotr are together, and there is a problematic age gap here, but Claremont was just putting her with the youngest person on the team. Mm -hmm. uh, 
No, this is a... Uh, they keep talking about the fact that it's incest. That's really weird. They keep mentioning, yeah, we were raised together. Oh, you're like my brother. <laughs> right. That part, oh, that's boy. where it gets a little odd. It's oh, that they sure. acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right there in the introduction. Uh, we also Love have, those two. as part Crazy of this, kids. yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see them again this uh, episode. Uh, we also have fellow Hellfire Club member Sebastian Shaw and Harry Leland is on the scene. Tessa shows up for a hot second. Right. Yes. Yeah. We get, uh, you know, quick cameo there. So the, the actual plot here is pretty stupid, right? It is. This is very much a fill in issue in the Dave Cockrum era. Yes. The second Cockrum era. I do like the way McCloud especially um, captures the characters. I like the way he draws Wolverine, um, the the expressions that he brings to characters, especially when Kitty is puzzling through trying to figure out if this uh, Storm uh, being in Emma's body is actually Storm. Like she wakes up in the car on the way back to the mansion, freaks out and phases out of the car. Like there's fun stuff here. And I think Bob McCloud especially uh, does a good job when he's doing this kind of character work. I think I think Bob McCloud's work is great here. I'm less impressed with Jim Sherman's mm-hmm. uh, work on this. It turns out he had only done a handful of things for Marvel before this. Oh, okay. He did a issue of Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, uh, an annual for Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Hmm. Um, like, I don't know enough about this guy, but it's it's not like he has a long career uh, at all. That's okay. You know, it, it, it with clearly... Marvel. With Marvel, let me, let me say that. Sure. It, it does feel like a fill-in uh, for the two issues, but uh, I do like the character work that's going on. Um, the stuff between Kitty and Storm is fantastic. And, uh, you know... It, we even get to the last page and Storm has returned to her body and like blasts off Emma's clothes. <laughs> so she's just bunk naked, you know, chilling there. Ready Again, to, guys, this is a this is a very Chris Claremont comic. <laughs> ready to choke Emma to death. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hand waved how the body swap even happens or gets reversed. But who cares? It's just... You Emma know, does it, it sometimes. Emma sometimes will. It's a fun side quest. Body for our uh for our team it definitely feels like classic x-men well so we had talked about this a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the uh sidrian hunters Mm -hmm. uh and the uh the first appearance of the brood in that starjammer story that is at the end of cockham's run and we had mentioned that yeah that whole era it's not bad it's the probably the most like basic x-men ever is like the most like generic this is the x-men right it's it's a little boring compared to what's around it like paul smith will come on and just elevate the emotional drama uh in a way that cockrum in the uh you know cockrum's not on this one but the writing and the art in this era just didn't have it was like the book was aimless after after days of future past and after you know burn was co-plotting that stuff with claremont like they they were collaborators on all that stuff so maybe it's claremont getting his uh getting his sea legs back uh yeah he's trying some things out 
you know, uh, and we just talked about that Star Jammer stuff in the last episode. Kitty's Fairy Tale is in here, which obviously is regarded as another classic. This one is just okay, you know. I think it's fun. Um, I think it has some good character work, but uh, I think a lot of people probably forget this even happened. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> what people can't forget that it's happened is that we've ranked uh, 630 X Men stories on our master list from best wow. to worst X Men stories of all time. That's a lot of stories. It's so many stories, Adam. <laughs> it's 630. Uh, they're ranked from best to worst, with the best being the House of X and the Powers of Ten. Uh, the hundredth best being X Men Black Emma Frost. Uh, the number two hundredth on this list is Amazing Spider Man ninety two, which is a story where Iceman helps Spider Man uh, fight the mayor in an election <laughs> or something. It's a good one. I forget it though. Yeah. Uh, it was years ago that we read it. It's just like it's a random issue of ASM. It's a good one. J Jonah Jameson's great in that. Uh, number 300 on this list is The Stolen Island from All New X Factor 324. Number 400 is Uncanny X-Men 495 to 499, Divided We Stand. Number 500 on our list is I, Lucifer from The Silver Ooh. Age X-Men. Uh, number, man, that one, there are 130 X-Men stories worse than that. Uh, number <laughs> 600 is uh, the first arc of Jason Latour's Wolverine and the X-Men and the Dracos at the very, very bottom. We had talked about that, yeah, the Sidrian Hunters and the Star Jammer story at 323 on our list right now. I do not think this is as good as that story. I don't either. Um, I think the art is stronger with Cockrum on board, and I also think that the Cyclops Corsair confrontation is better, um, even though this still does have the good Storm Kitty stuff that uh, you know helps build their relationship. So I'm looking lower than that. At 349, we have Generation X 24, Home for the Holidays, uh, which is a fun Christmas issue of Generation X that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I would say think... that I would say that that Generation X issue is better. Okay, yeah. Um, how do you feel about it against something like 363 X Men versus the Avengers? This is better than the X Men versus the Avengers one through four. This yeah, has I an agree. ending. Um, I. What do you think? Better or worse than X-Men number one at 355? This is better than the first issue of X-Men. I would say it's better than this. It's on par with Uncanny 206 Freedom is a four-letter word. Yep, and I think I might give that the edge. Um, Just, you know, I think the, the art and, you know, especially that iconic cover, I think that's probably the better story. Is this better or worse than that one issue where Wolverine and Nightcrawler talk on a talk at a bar? But we don't really remember anything that happened in that issue. We just remember the good cover that Asad Ribic did. <laughs> I think this is better than that. So this would be our new three fifty three. Yeah, because this is better than uh, this is. Yeah, yes, yes. You're right, Adam. Three fifty three. I had selected the wrong line. They can't see that. We'll they just can't. edit that out. We can edit this out in post. <laughs> the next story on our list is what I would, I would cautiously call a pretty good one. I I would agree, and what, this was the specific story that um, Kyle requested. Correct? Yes, yes, yes. It is, in fact, Uncanny X Men one sixty nine and one seventy. Uh, it's called like Catacombs or something. It's the Morlock one. It's the one where the Morlocks get introduced, people. 
Yeah. The Morlocks. Uh, yeah, and I had to go back and just double check because I, I'd forgotten whether the kitty being abducted um, by Caliban happened before or after this. And then I, you know, as I'm reading the story, I'm like, oh, right. Okay, this is the first appearance of the Morlocks and Callisto and Sunder and Mask and Plague and, you know, a bunch of other players here that. All of um, your favorites, really. Yeah. Yeah. All of our sewer dwelling uh ne'er-do-wells are here and we have claremont paul smith and um i always think smith is at his best when inked by bob wyacek hey i don't know how to tell you paul smith's pretty good um <laughs> there's a there's a piece by nola Fowl that you need to check out on comics xf if you want a nice little retrospective on paul smith being pretty good spoiler alert paul smith's pretty good yeah um and i'm i'm Really excited to talk about these two issues because not in the not too distant past of our show, um, we talked about the issues that come not too far after this uh, when they go to Wolverine's wedding. And we have that iconic scene of Wolverine fighting against Silver, Silver Samurai. Um, we also, just a quick preview for next week, are going to talk about Paul Smith in a completely different context. But this is like peak Paul Smith. Uh, in that that year run that he did that I think a lot of people identify as, you know, one of the it's, best of all time. It's interesting because, you know, From the Ashes, which pretty much collects the Paul Smith stuff that's after the Brood Saga. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. All that through the Maddie stuff. Like, it was one of the few trades. Like, it was one of the things that you could get and a lot of people could get. Yeah, uh, not to mention that uh, the, published at the same time was Asgard Wars, and they included X-Men Alpha Flight, which are the other two Paul Smith issues. Um, so a lot of people like are rereading. I know I was one of them. That This was the X-Men for a while. And it's, it's really nice and good, because what happens is this is a story where Warren Worthington III, who at the time... Um, 1983, this, would this have been New Defenders era? I was going to say, is he a Defender at this point? Well, because he's not, he's not living in his airy, so I think this, this would have been post New Defenders. Okay. Because Champions is 70s, New Defenders is, yeah, this would have been post New Defenders, because he leaves and does the stuff with the X-Men at Dark Phoenix. Right. Yeah. So he's been off the team for a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And gets captured by uh, one of the Morlocks, Sunder, mm-hmm. uh, who throws Candy Southern out a window. Not cool, Sunder. Not cool, Sunder. Uh, Nightcrawler has to teleport out of a hot tub that he's in with his sister girlfriend. <laughs> with Amanda Sampton. And captured, er, save, not captured, save Candy Southern. And the only place he can think to drop her carefully is in the bathtub with his sister. <laughs> Naked. Uh, Nightcrawler's naked throughout this scene Sefton's naked in the hot tub and Candy Southern just gets dumped in the hot tub like oh my goodness can you imagine getting knocked out by Sunder then teleported in, in into a hot tub with naked Amanda Sefton this is just a wild opening to this story yeah this is a this is a weird opening uh, we get all the X-Men like okay dang we gotta we gotta help out all this stuff 
Uh, and they're like, wait, where's Wolverine? He's in Japan doing Wolverine in Japan stuff. Man, 1983 might be wow. the best year of X-Men. Now that I'm yeah. really loud, it might <laughs> It might be like pound for pound. Because New Mutants was good at this time. Like, mm-hmm. everything was good now. Storm just gets everybody. They travel into the sewers and they're like, man, there's a lot of sewers here. With all these sewers. <laughs> yeah. It's it's technically like a subway station and a bomb shelter, but it's, I mean, well, they're, it, they're sewer it, people. It doesn't that's, matter. That's we're, the trope they're playing. Yes. And we're, we're getting introduced to this idea of which mutants can pass and which mutants can't and, and redefining that because up until this point, you know, we've had stories about Nightcrawler, for example, as being this sort of, you know, mutant that they can't really walk around in human society. And now we're really getting into another level of it where they're looking at Nightcrawler and going, man, that guy's a hunk, you know, he's, he's like, you know, the very handsome boy. And, you know, we're looking at people with like these deformities and really kind of more grotesque punk, uh, you know, in terms of their, their look and really they love to steal a person to get married to them. I mean, that happens multiple times. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting story that, you know, I think it would take a while to really get explored at the level of detail that it really deserves, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's good. It's like, Hey, these are the mutants that don't fit in. What do you do with them? And the X-Men's answer is to let them live in the sewer still. Well, they offer, they offer, they do offer. They basically say, hey, you know, on behalf of the guy who's not here, uh, if you want to come and live at our house, you're welcome to. Which is a pretty big offer given how many Morlocks there are in the sewers. Paul Smith Smith definitely (laughs) accidentally drew a billion people. Somehow, somehow, a writer unintentionally drew a crowd scene. And then later, Claremont was like, that's so many mutants. Oh, my gosh. Can we? I, I want to kill. There's too many. I need to kill them off. I don't know. Mutant Massacre. Let's go. We need an event. Let's do it. Uh, well, and, and that's really what's wild about this is learning that there's this whole civilization, this subculture uh, in, in this subterranean environment. Um, so we get introduced to Callisto, who has ordered Sunder to take Angel down here so she can marry him for some reason. Uh, cause she's needs a, every princess needs a prince. Um, I, right. I like to think that Callisto is making a point to the X-Men about, Hey, you mutants get to be pretty and all that. I have one of the few publicly known mutants out there. Mind mm-hmm. you, like people know Warren Worthington, the third is a mutant at this point. Yes. So she's saying to, you know, both humanity and very specifically to the X-Men, I've got your mutant and I'm going to make him mine because we're tired of like the world treating us like crap. Yeah. And it's an interesting contrast. Like I said, you know, uh, to think of Warren as being this, you know, Warren would probably consider himself like beleaguered by this, uh, this mutation of his wings. Whereas, Oh no, I look, I look like a literal angel. <laughs> Whereas the Morlocks are like, right. It's, it's a complete twist on, uh, what we've been given so far, which is pretty cool. It, it is, uh, what, what becomes even cooler is that, well, one, not cool. 
uh, is that again Caliban kidnaps Kitty Pride and wants to marry her, and she's like, "This is weird. I don't like it." In but... Caliban's defense, he's basically this is the first time these characters are are meeting, right? Uh, second time, second time. Oh, so this does happen after this. Is, Caliban appears first when Kitty Pride goes to the uh, to a show with Dazzler and. Uh, Spider Woman, I think, is there. Definitely Spider Woman. No, it's Spider Woman and Siren, oh, not Dazzler. Okay. Uh, it it's like them and Storm, and then she gets captured by Caliban. So that's what he's talking about here. And then she makes the promise here that if right. you okay. help me let my friends go, I'll yes. I will marry you, Caliban. And yes. that's where the other wedding comes in, where okay. she gets captured again by Caliban. All right. So scratch what I said earlier this episode, but um, we do get that that reunion which is pretty cool um but of course the main event here is issue 170 where folks this could be one of the best episodes of x this is one of the best issues that has ever been made of the comic see i don't even know if it's one of the best issues that have been made of the comic because i think everything around it is like fine and good but there's a knife fight there is a four-page knife fight that starts out with Nightcrawler saying, I will I will do it. I will fight for the honor and rescue Warren and Kitty and all of our stuff because I'm the swashbuckling hero. Storm, who is the leader of the X-Men, says, you're going to what? We need to mention, <laughs> Storm is, uh, she is in the equivalent of the Michael Jordan flu game right now. Like, we don't remember. Storm was knocked out. Like, she is in bad shape. And everyone comments, Storm's gonna die. Like, she can't fight right now. And she's right. shaky and weary. And you can see that in Smith's face. Or, or in Smith's uh, facial expressions of her. She gets... She goes up to Callisto. And everyone's like, well, Storm... Storm promised not to take a life. So, um, I don't know how this is gonna work. And... Her power is, like, you can't do a thunderstorm in a sewer, so this is going to work. How's this, how's this going to work? Callisto starts taunting her. She says, all right, let's do it. Throws a knife at Storm, and Storm, in a beautiful sequence, grabs it and, like, swings it in front of her. Is like, let's do it. And that's the moment you realize, oh, no, Storm knows what she's doing here. It's, it's the part where Storm is all at once the leader of the X-Men, a goddess, and a street thief from Cairo. Like, yep. It's so badass. (laughs) Even, like, Al Ewing is doing a great job with Storm and X-Men Red. Yeah. Al Ewing is very much leaning into Storm as the leader of the X-Men, Storm as a goddess. Like, Uh it doesn't have that same, like, like, scrappy tenacity of a, I'm also going to fight incredibly dirty. And, to be fair, we've had one issue at the time we're recording this, and I think the way that the story is going, he'll be bringing in that element, but just based on X-Men writing on uh, Sword, you know, those were the elements. No one no one since Claremont has mixed all of the different parts of Storm together in a truly satisfying way, and it's because of moments like this that work so well, because Storm grabs the freaking knife, and they, the fight starts, and on one page, it actually, like, Callisto draws first blood. She gets a couple of, like, skin-level swipes at Storm. And Storm's been holding her cape the entire time. Like, she took it off. She's been holding it. Callisto 
goes up for a swipe. Storm whips her cape around Callisto's arm, holding the knife out, and guts her, stabs her right in the friggin' heart, pulls it out, and walks away without a word in some of the most stunning comics out there. It's so good. Paul Smith sells this thing so well. Yeah, and I, you know, I went gaga when we talked about the Wolverine Silver Samurai fight, but this is another reason why this run is so revered is because of sequences like this. Because it's so rare that you have comic books who are essentially most of the time built around central fight scenes actually have fight choreography in a way that could be described point for point like what you just like said out loud you were able to walk us through step by step what happens in this fight and there's so few artists that take the time or given the space to actually do what it is is happening in this issue you know most fights in comics are poses Mm -hmm. and like they feel required they said this is an action book so we're going to have some action. It's not because that action is necessary for the plot. It's not because that action has emotional stakes. Normally, that action is happening while another character is trying to like push forward some of the other emotional or plot things in a story. It's The action is unimportant. And that's why I get frustrated with a lot of action scenes in comics. Because why are they there? It doesn't matter. Right. We're, they're they're not thinking about the fight choreography and how it could be staged or, or how it could be, you know, looked at by, you know, in, in the individual panels. And the way in which this is drawn is, is very intelligent. Um, well, and I, I think I think it's more than just the way that it's drawn, even though I think we both agree Paul Smith is on fire here. Like, I think these are his these four pages are his best sequence of his career. This also has big emotional weight to it you care about storm you care about this fight you don't know what's going on it feels like a big deal and this is a giant x-men story and it's all coming down to a knife fight like it's the freaking beat it video come on (laughs) when did beat it come out hold on (laughs) beat it is 81 i want to say yeah um Listen, Chris Claremont does immediately call out, man, isn't H.G. Wells uh, the time traveler? Uh, yes. Yeah. Or the time machine great? They're, these are the Morlocks from H.G. Wells the time machine. Uh, <laughs> Chris Claremont may have also watched the Beat It video uh, a couple of times before writing the sequence. Who's to say? Knife fights were big in the early 80s. I don't know. But uh, when I say that this is a really good issue, um, everybody remembers the knife fight. But... We also have to remember that this particular uh, Morlock sequence is framed by this absolutely outstanding interaction between Scott and Madeline, who are, you know, in this, the throes of romance. And the first interaction that we get between the two of them, which is amazing, is Scott revealing to Madeline who Jean Grey was, that she looks exactly like her and that he's not really sure whether he wants to continue being in this relationship because it's freaking him out. The Listen, end... listen. Madeline does say, hey, Scott, this is weird. He's like, yeah, I, I know it's weird. 
I like you, but also this is weird. We, we yes. both agree. Yes, they're both on the same page. Now, the end of the issue, the last page, everybody remembers the knife fight, right? But in another brilliant stroke of Paul Smith's sequential art, he has to reveal to Madeline why he's been wearing these stupid red sunglasses around every single moment that they've been together. And he has to reveal that he is a mutant to which he pulls a quarter out of his pocket, throws it in the air and shoots a little beam of concussive blast through it and, and lands in his hand. It's such a beautiful, like streamlined economical scene. It's not like he blasts out through the window or anything like that. He just, little shot through this quarter it's such a great scene i love it It rules it does rule that's a good one paul smith paul smith on fire june of 1983 absolutely all right now we did argue a little bit when we ranked the wolverine story about whether it was actually top 10 material it is currently hovering at number 10 i think this is better than that i think we said to you know, both were reflecting on that when we talked about those issues. Um, so I think this is probably a top 10 story. I think this is better than the Wolverine wedding story, which was... Here's here's the actual real dirty secret, Adam. It's a lot harder to update the top 10 than it is to update number 11. So I was fighting for, well, I know we're going to be doing the Storm Knife <laughs> fight soon. So do I want to update the top 10 twice in like a three-month period? And the right. answer is yes, I do. It is better than the Wolverine wedding fight appearance thing. I would, act, I would still argue that E is for Extinction is better than this. Okay. I, Cause I, I don't think... think- this is more iconic. I think this is more iconic. I realize that E is for Extinction has more going on, right? You know, it is this uh, this relaunch of the brand that is this iconic thing. Um, and it's extremely well written. There's, there's no way around it. Um, I just think when we think back to this From the Ashes era, these are probably the two best issues of it, you know? So... For my money, I would probably squeeze it in between Wolverine and E is for Extinction, making it already number nine. Wolverine is the Wolverine uh, one through four is much better. Like there, there is a there is a step change above that. I think mm, I struggle with that. I think I think just just think about it for a second. I know I think if you ask if you ask. I think this is a very iconic story in the in what would be considered like the most generic times of X-Men, like the second Dave Cockrum run through small Paul Smith. That's like the baseline. These are the X-Men, your friends Wolverine, Storm and Cyclops and Nightcrawler and they all go to a school. Uh and nothing nothing particularly odd happens. They do superheroes. Where E is for Extinction is a statement of this is what the x-men can and should be for a new era and for me that's more impactful because i am always like i'm always going to reward taking the big swing more than anything else okay but we also do have to consider that what we're seeing in this issue especially with storm who is one of the x-men main characters this is the evolution of that character where we're starting to see okay they make a big point in this issue of saying X-Men don't kill. X-Men don't kill. Nightcrawler says it a couple of times. 
And yet we have one of our main characters breaking that rule and stabbing someone in the heart to save okay. the rest of the team. Okay, hold on. One, one, Adam, we just talked about Wolverine exists. Sure, but Wolverine is not here. Colossus also exists. And Colossus at the end of Proteus Saga is like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like he just gets to a point. He says, well, I'm not saying that as a, as a, here's, tide shift for the team but it's something that we would not necessarily have expected of storm like we are pushing into new territory with this here is my argument Mm -hmm. my argument is that if you take away these two issues the course of the x-men is not fundamentally shifted these are proficient issues if you take away e is for extinction nothing Nothing is the same. Like I it think, is that that monumental of a difference in my yeah. eyes. Yeah, here's here's where we've we've sort of drawn ourselves into a corner a little bit. Is that if we were taking the Paul Smith run as a whole, it would kick a lot of the stuff in the top ten down a notch. You know what I mean? Yes. But given that it has to be chopped up into these smaller bits because they really are these smaller stories. They don't necessarily have the larger impact that the entire run does. So I'm going to agree with that. I, I'm going to agree with you. Let's slot this in at number 10, which is going to push Wolverine wedding down uh, a notch. And uh, congratulations. This is an amazing story. And if somehow listeners, you have not read it, you know what you're doing this week. Yeah. Go read that. And actually the, the dirty secret on our top 10 is that if we were going to be re-ranking things uh, that we, had originally ranked uh, years ago mm-hmm. uh, within the first few months of the podcast, I'm not sure that our taste would keep Astonishing X-Men gifted at number five. That's okay. I, 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 think, I think both of our tastes have shifted in that time. <laughs> Here's the thing. We've, as our tastes evolve, you know, the, the show goes on and the, the list is something that evolves as too. So, um, no, the list doesn't. In fact, the list is... Is carved into the mountain as this is what the list is. And we just have to live with our choices. You know, we are coming up on episode 250. Um, so maybe we do finally do, uh, you know, the course correction a- episode that we've hinted at or teased or thought about for it, many years. It, it Adam, could... I think at one point early on in the podcast, I argued that Gifted was better than uh, Days of Future Past. And I am... Um, Wrong. I'm wrong. I was wrong in the past. My tastes have changed a lot. <laughs> and not well, just my distaste for Joss Whedon as a person. Uh, like, I would I would still say Gifted is very good. It's just like what I want out of an X-Men story has changed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Don't, you know, let's not beat ourselves up about it. We still have one more story. And uh, I can tell you for sure, this one will not be a top ten story. That um, makes it sound worse than it is. No, I like this story, but it's not going to be a top 10 story. This I have a, a lot of like for this story. I do too. And uh, it's a more recent one. A Krakoa uh, prelude to the Hellfire Gala. This is Marauders number 20. Yeah, it's called Windriders. It's written by friend of the show, though you guys wouldn't know it because that episode has been lost forever. Uh, Jerry Duggan uh, and penciler Stefano Castilli. Uh, who's currently doing X-Men Red without Ewing. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, go check Great that out. Great work. Stefano's killing it. 
Stefano is killing it. I'm I'm a big fan of Stefano's. It was, like Adam said, right before the Hellfire Gala, and this is a this is one issue that is kind of reflecting back on Storm's time on the team, and just Storm as a character in general. Storm was in an interesting place when the uh, X Men books kicked off this new era, and frankly, Storm had been in an interesting place with her place with the X-Men since, let's see, Claremont left in 1991. So then, pretty much since then, Storm was Claremont's main character, and other people jumped to the front in the early 90s, and that kind of progressed throughout the rest of the 90s. Then when Eas for Extinction happens, Claremont takes Storm back uh, for Extreme X-Men because, like, as a gift of, hey, Claremont, you can have your favorite character. Like... You can have Storm. She can co like she can headline a book. That's that will be good. Claremont has Storm through everything. He keeps Storm uh, when Whedon takes over on Astonishing. He has Storm up until pretty much uh, she gets married to Black Panther, which was done to put Black Panther over. Like y'all, Storm was the one with a. Uh, with the teacup ride at Universal Studios, it was not to to T'Challa's teacups. No, uh, no, he and, he was riding her cape. <laughs> legitimately, was she was raising his profile by a huge amount. Absolutely. The reason we have a Black Panther movie, I I think I think Storm like has a part for it. The problem with that is the book's called Black Panther, so Storm becomes a supporting character for Black Panther, right? Who's a good character, and I I like a lot of. I like a lot of the stories where Storm is a Black Panther character uh, that Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, wrote. Um, not not the, I'm, I'm not particularly fond of the Reginald Hudlin stuff, but you know, Storms Storms that character for a while, and she's like co-owned between the Black Panther teams and the X Men teams, and very specifically because Coates had his story to finish, he had a role for Storm still, so. They couldn't make seismic shifts with Storm in Krakoa out of respect for letting this guy tell his story. And he's Ta-Nehisi Coates, so, like, let him. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it does make for a weird thing where Storm is, like, the fifth most important character in Marauders. Yes. Yeah, she's not the leader of the team. That's clearly, you know, Kitty is your POV character. It's Kitty and Emma's book. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so what's great about this particular issue is that, you know, it's hinting that Storm, we don't yet know what's going to happen with uh, planet size and, and uh, turning Mars into Arico. We don't yet know that Storm is going to become the regent uh, of Arico, but it's very strongly hinted that her role is about to change. So this is a farewell dinner. Um, they are, you know, riding in the sea on this pirate ship. And each of the Marauders is reminiscing about a time when Storm kind of saved their butts uh, and, and ways in which they admire Storm. There's also a running bet, which I like, about how many knives Storm maybe <laughs> has on her personage at this time, even while sitting for dinner. It's a, So I'll say this. It's a weird flattening of Storm as a character, I think, of the bet about knives, like... You all remember the good knife fight? We right. all remember the good knife fight. We just love, we loved the good knife fight, obviously. It is weird, like, Storm didn't produce a knife during that fight. She caught a knife that was thrown at her. <laughs> right. It's, and it's not that Storm, 
we all you know we we've known over the years that storm traditionally carries lock picks um you know but does storm really need like seven to nine knives on her at all times i i don't know you know need is one thing hold on <laughs> i think we could all use seven to nine knives at one time and it's not that storm does it. it's just it's a part of my issue with how writers have written storm uh for most of time is that they tend to flatten out the character to one or two memorable aspects when storm is a weirdly complex character who's mostly contradictory because claremont couldn't help himself just like adding and adding more weird contradictory elements to her sure and he added them all right at the beginning too so he had to live with them (laughs) um we do see Storm do a variety of, uh, of, of acts, uh, saving a, a mutant who has been enslaved uh, to do work in a dock. Another story Bishop tells in which he just threatens that Storm is there, even though she's not, and, and is able to, uh, to, to save the day. Storm beats up a, I, I don't know this character, this, this guy in a... Oh, do you not know about Hatemonger? Is Hate, Hatemonger like a... White's like what is he? Is he like a KKK okay, so, guy or what's so, his deal? No, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so Hatemonger to Hellions was a member of the anti-mutant group uh, Homines Verendi. Oh, okay. Um, but Adam, oh, Adam. Okay, this is hard to explain. This is actually the second Hatemonger. His name is Josh Glenn. He was originally an office worker who became frustrated by what he perceived as persecution at the hands of immigrants. Oh, boy. Uh, so he took up the legacy of the original Hatemonger. Hold on. Uh, and the original Hatemonger did enter Glenn's body. Uh, oh, God. And, like, like mind control him. So now the original Hatemonger was living in him and intermixed with him. Eventually Black Panther shot that out. But Hatemonger did say, I was never more myself than when I was Hatemonger. <laughs> okay. Well, we do see whatever Storm did to kick the crap out of him does have Hatemonger. She beats uh, up She beats up this guy to get him to stop being a racist. Oh, Adam, I forgot. There's a really important thing I left out here. You know the original Hatemonger? I don't. Oh, yeah. So the original Hatemonger uh, who possessed him. Do you know what his name was? Um, uh, John Glenn? <laughs> no, it was Adolf Hitler. Oh, no. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's from Fantastic Four 21. This is a clone of Adolf Hitler. Get uh, out. That's terrible. No, this is Adolf Hitler. Oh, uh, so, so, so the spirit so, of the clone is in this guy's body and she the, talks. Adolf in- Hitler's Adolf Hitler's spirit is no longer in him, but he does remember and have a lot of fond feelings about the time that Adolf Hitler possessed him. Oh, God. Oh, I don't like this at all. Uh, so Storm does beat him up and then teaches him not to be racist, which I, I'm going to be honest. I feel like that's like a Tom Taylor X-Men Red level uh, <laughs> kind of flattening of it. Like, that's a guy's... Weird expectation to this is, have this character get beat up by a black woman and then hang up the hood, right? Like, isn't that just going to make him a little bit crazy? This is 2021. I'm not... I want to be very clear. I am not against beating up people oh, who no, have she been should... possessed by or 
inspired by Adolf Hitler in any way. I think we should beat them up. I also don't 100% think that we should expect them to change their behaviors because they got beat up. I think we should just continue to beat them up. I think I think we made that clear. I, the issue is not that she's beating him up. Uh, we that's are great. pro beating up guys who really like being possessed by Hitler. Yeah. Uh, Callisto um, just sort of makes a reference. She's like, you don't, you know this, you know about the knife fight. We don't need to talk about it. And then we also get a flashback from Emma to the body swap story as well, where she's like remembering Storm beating her up. <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun. You know, it's a little trip down memory lane and um, you know, we, we, get this little thing with all the knives um so it's fine you know it it's it's a it's it's a a nostalgia grab it's a perfectly fine nostalgia grab for a character who hasn't really been important for the previous 19 issues yeah yeah storm was storm was wasting time on the marauders and i think everyone would agree it's great that she is now the queen of space Mm -hmm. um so good so good they they, they promised, guys. I promise you, we have big things coming for Storm. Just like, let us get there. It, we had to, we had to shift some things around, but we actually had to scrap our initial big thing for Storm. This is better, and it is Storm. Their their initial big thing for Storm was bad, actually. It was, uh, and I don't know if that's public, so I'm not. It is public. It's it was it on. Is. Jonathan Hickman did a interview on Jay and Miles Explained the X-Men. Great podcast. Oh, right. Jay and okay. Miles have both been on the show. Go check that out. In which he lays out, yeah, originally uh, tied up in the giant size X-Men issues, uh, Storm was going to be pregnant, pregnant. with a star child from Hate Black Pan- her and Black Panther, and it was going to be Black Panther's kid from the uh, Avengers Next, uh, I don't know, the cartoon thing where they had a kid, uh, and he was going to be like a child of two worlds. And I hate that. Yeah, it's actually better that Storm's not defined by a child, but defined by, hey, I'm really cool and I'm going to be the queen of space. Yeah, way better. Way better. I'm so, going to be the queen of space and I'm going to win my title constantly by trial by combat. You guys like Storm doing the knife fight? We got knife fights all day long. <laughs> uh, I think this issue is beautifully drawn. I think it's beautifully colored. Uh, you know, it. not a lot happens. She's not, you know, the regent yet. She's not really doing anything. It's just a chance for them to say, hey, Storm is cool. And we're all like, yup, pretty cool. We, so, we all agree. No we, no one needed that reminder, to be fair. No. We all, we all had all thought, man, you guys are just wasting one of the coolest characters in comics. Literally, like... Take away the race descriptor. Literally the most famous female character in Marvel for, mm-hmm. I don't know. Decades? From 1980 to... Until Avengers made Black Window, Widow like a thing? I guess, yeah. Right? I mean... I guess, because like Scarlet Witch... Maybe, maybe Scarlet Witch got her profile raised during the mid-2000s. Sure. But like, it was, it was Storm... Mm-hmm. That that's who it was. They tried to push Electra. They tried to push others. Y'all should see. It's always fun to see who Marvel is actually pushing on advertising and things, like up until like 2012. <laughs> Any yeah. like after that, you know who they're pushing in advertising. Before then, it's wild who they're like. These are the big Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. And Storm's there the entire time. Storm is. My son has a Yahtzee Junior game. Uh, where the characters are Thor, 
Captain America, Hulk, Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Storm. Yeah. If you go uh, a couple of years ago, they did the the Traveling Marvel exhibition. Got a chance to see that in Philadelphia. And there was a, which character are you most like? Obviously, you need to have, you know, some characters of different genders. Who's who's one of the <laughs> female characters? And there was only a couple. It was Storm. Did you know I have a Storm statue in my oh, that's office cool. that has her with a knife and a mohawk? Ooh, I like that. That's yeah. neat. That's really cool. That's from- it's from 2006. Again, Storm was very popular all the time, folks. Still is. So, obviously, this is not, uh, you know, a classic of all time. Um, and I don't think this is as good as the body swap issue uh, that nope. we talked about before, which is at 354. Um, What's below that? This is better than 370 X-Men Kingbreaker. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I don't think it's as memorable as the Quanon arc of X-Men Volume 2 at 367. Uh, then let's put it right above 368, the X-Force 7 to 10 Old Ghosts, because I don't... Great. Old Ghosts is fine. Yeah, that works. That works. Um, we didn't mention it. Beautiful Russell Dodderman cover on this thing, man. Absolutely beautiful. We talked about Russell Dodderman a lot recently. Just let's keep it up. Just keep keep getting Dodderman. You know what I really want? Because now they just revealed the um, X-Men, the, the trading card variant that Dodderman did for X-Men 12, where it's the team. I just, at some point, Marvel, you got to give us physical cards. And I know they're doing the whole like Jim Lee trading card retrospective book, and it's going to have some some cool stuff included with it. But man... You're teasing it too hard. Like, I need those cards. Uh, definitely want to thank Kyle Still for uh, letting us talk about Storm for an hour. That was great. Want to be like Kyle, uh, throw some Patreon money at us. That's all you got to do. Or, if you just want to be cool, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or on the on the Spotify mobile app. Just go give us five stars on the podcast. You may, you may already have that open on your phone, so you just have to scroll up and hit those stars. Did you even know that that was there? Uh, put five for us. We're cool. Or put what you think we're worth. Put five for us. Come on, don't be jerks. <laughs> don't be. Don't be mean. Come on, give us five. Give us five. Can we deserve it? Can we do good this time? It's like I think a. We should do. You good. know what it is? It's like a high five. You know. It is like a high five. Our hand is up. It is waiting for the response. So. Hey guys, high five. Me and Adam just high fived over this video. <laughs> you should join us in this high five right now. In fact, what you can do is rerun the episode. Just a little bit and then hit it right as we say high five. <laughs> That'll be great. Then it'll be like we're all high fiving together, I think. Oh, I think I just felt it psychically. I, I think I just it. felt that connection. I, I feel the love. I do. That was great. Or just tell your friends about us. Mm-hmm. We're pretty cool. People like X Men podcasts. We should we should you should like ours. Yeah, I agree. Next week we're gonna talk about the nineties. Yeah, some some awesome cool nineties stuff. I forgot to ask, Adam, what are you up to? Anything? Oh, folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. And um, like like Zach said, next week, it's an all 90s spectacular. All 90s all the time here on <laughs> 90.1 XFM. Nope, that's a real thing. No, just, just XM. Wait, was it XFM? No. What was it before? Was it XM about, Radio? Yeah, XM. Then it became Sirius XM. Sirius XM, yeah. The yeah. two the two satellite radio companies became the one satellite radio company because they realized no one really wants satellite radio. Yeah. No, we're CXX. Uh, CXFM. That's our call. CXFM. <laughs> the Scourge. <laughs>
<laughs> we hope you survived the experience. Get it!